Hey, I'm Andy, and I'm really glad to be with you and joining this series, Better Together. These are exciting days as we're working through uh, what God's doing in our community, just trying to understand it, talking through some of the examples in the gospel about values that transcend us, that guide us, that help us understand how we are better together. And I look forward to exploring a particular verse that really spoke to Pastor Ben and I as we were contemplating the merge and just unpack it both today and next week. But I want to tell you a little bit of a, of a great experience I had this week. On Friday, that's my day off, I was golfing with a good buddy of mine. It, yeah, surprise. And um, I was just having the round of my life and uh, just, just doing great. It was just, God was flowing through me as, as best I could understand it. And uh, so I get up confidently on one of the tees, and I think, man, I'm just going to rip this, this ball. So I rip at it, and it just shank apotamus. It just goes flying into the woods. And so I'm just, you know, kind of dejected and feeling like, God, man, now my score gets, you know, penalized, and it's going to be hard to hit out of that place when I bat the back of the wall. And my buddy says, Andy, take a mulligan. Now, if, you, if you're not familiar with golf, mulligan is the chance to have a second shot with no penalty, no penalty to your score. I love playing with guys who give each other mulligans. I play with guys who, who play it as it lies, you know, kind of they're, they're the purest of the game. I hate those people. They're, 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 they're mean, you know, they're not nice, they're not fun to play with. The guys that give each other sort of grace and a graceless game makes the game really fun. And I was, I was thinking about that later that night, thinking, wouldn't it be nice if you kind of had a mulligan in real life? You know, the, the officer pulls you over, writes the speeding ticket, you just tear it up, and you go, no, no, officer, I'll just take a mulligan, thank you. And he's like, oh, okay, you'll take a mulligan. You get you, get a, you, you miss your mortgage payment, and the bank calls you, and they're pressing you, and you say, you know what, I'll skip this payment, I'll take a mulligan, I'll get you next time, and they say, no problem, that's great. Well, there's just something really enjoyable about the opportunity to have a do-over. Now, I don't know where life finds you today. Maybe for some of you, you you're walking in here, and it's just a great season of, of life, Maybe for others of us, you're kind of crawling in here. You're, you're feeling a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, the, the need for a mulligan runs really deep. Uh, for some of us in here, we'd admit there's some, you know, some hang-ups with us, some habits that have got control over us, and we're, we're really worried about that. For others of us, maybe we have a, a relationship that's gone sideways, and we're, we're deeply concerned about will it, will it find its way back, you know? For others of us, we have a, a response when we get anxious or we get angry, and, and we just sort of hurt everybody around us, and we're frustrated by it, and we're, we're always hopeful that maybe we could have a do-over, an opportunity to try better. And um, the reality is, is that one day, Jesus stepped into human history and began teaching on things like grace, on forgiveness, on things like mercy, and the idea that there's a God in heaven who loves to give spiritual mulligans. 
And he, he knew there were lots of people who needed them. Now, the New Testament doesn't use the word mulligan. It uses this word called the gospel. And the gospel, in its kind of simplest definition, all the gospel means is good news. There's good news. So I don't know where your life finds you today, but I've got good news. I've got good news. There's a gospel. There's a God in heaven who deeply loves you. There's a God in heaven who's not surprised by the things that you do or the things that you don't do. There's a God in heaven that's moved violently towards you, (laughs) aggressively towards you. And it's all wrapped up in this idea of the gospel. And what I want to do for the minutes that we have today is just unpack the profound implications of the gospel. Because when we use that word, I want to make sure we understand it. We celebrate it. We lean into it. Because we don't want to lean into our own efforts to try to play the game in our own strength. Because we'll shank it. We'll, we'll, we'll mess it up. And if the thought is, I've just got to return and try harder, you'll leave frustrated. So this is a big idea in the New Testament. Over 76 times, there's writers that reference the gospel. So it becomes one of the central teachings of the New Testament church. And we're going to look at one of the primary writers of most of the New Testament, the writer Paul, who knew very well the profound work of the gospel in his own life. So he would spend tremendous amounts of effort speaking to young churches about their idea and their celebration of the gospel. We'll look at a verse from Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 8 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, I'm assuming you'll know where that's at. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll, we'll put the verses up on the screen. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So that we, out of love, we were compelled to share two things with each other. The gospel and our lives. As we also thank God, now he moves down, and this is where it becomes really important. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, so there was preaching and teaching, you accepted it. You said, okay, man, I'm going to bring that into my life. That's just not human philosophy. That ten, that's something profound. There's something deeply spiritual about these words that I'm hearing. You did not just accept it as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed, now what's this next phrase? At work, where? Where? Say it with me, in you. No longer is the word of God just simply working out there, it's working in here. It's working in here who believe. Now there's two works of the gospel, it's a If you want to understand the gospel, think of a coin. There's two sort of implications or works. The first work is salvation. It's just the redemption of mankind. That Jesus suffered, and as a sufferer of a sacrifice for sin, He overcame death, and then He offers a share in His triumph to all who would accept it. Now what makes this good news is because it's strictly a gift from God. It's like my friend who just said, do you want a mulligan? And Jesus, in in a way, His death and His resurrection offers a mulligan that we do not earn by our penance or by our self-improvement. 
But the next work is an important work of the gospel. It's transformation. See, you and I were made not to simply be forgiven by grace, but to live by grace, to be changed by grace. Paul would pick this idea up. He'd carry this, like I said, into all his letters. But there's a great uh, verse that really illustrates it. And we're going to just actually read the verse. And then I just want to pull it apart and look at it phrase by phrase. So that when we leave here today, we can go, Yay, God, for the gospel. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is Paul speaking. Being confident of this that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wow! A tremendous amount of things are happening in that verse. But before we kind of stitch it on a little pillow or put it on a bumper sticker or you know, pack it into Facebook and hashtag, Yay God! Let's really make sure we understand all that it means. All that it offers. So let's walk through this. And I want to highlight, where is Paul's confidence? So today, I'm going to ask you some questions. You have permission to, to, to speak back to me and, and interact. We'll have a little bit of like a Bible study. In whom's confidence does Paul lie? Where does he place his confidence? In he. It's not in you. Do you notice that Paul doesn't say, I'm confident in you. I'm confident in your ability to do something for God. No, no, no. Paul says, I'm confident in what God is up to. If you were to spell religion, you might be able to spell it D-O-I-N-G. Doing. Religion is ultimately about what are you doing to sort of lasso God and close this gap, this penalty. The gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. What did God do? It's done. The gap is closed. But now the reality is, while the, while the, 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 the theological reality is, is the gap is closed, I often feel like it's not. And so then if I kind of feel that, maybe you feel that, then what I believe I have to do is a lot of work. I got it, God. You saved me, but now I've got to go out and sort of earn that back. But the more that I open my life up to the work of the gospel, just the idea that God is doing something, I find confidence in Him, in He, not me. It's God's power that turns a heart towards Him. It's not my power. It's not your power. It's God's power that calms our greatest fears. It's God's power that inspires us to love and act with courage. It's God's power who empowers us to endure a hardship. The gospel is about what God is up to, not what we're attempting to accomplish without Him. He, not me. The next idea is, let's talk through this work. What kind of work has God begun? What did the writer say? It was a good work. Would you say that with me? Good work. God is doing a good work. 
In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. This is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Good work is the only work God knows to do. God does not know how to do bad work. Now, good work, though, doesn't mean it comes easily. It doesn't mean that it comes quick. It doesn't mean that it's convenient or it's popular. It doesn't mean that it's cheap. In fact, I would say to you that a good work is an expensive work. I was thinking about this a little bit, driving down I-75, and again, encountering the work that's been going on since... I, 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 was, I think I was with my wife, and I said, I don't recall a time that there wasn't work on I-75. Is anybody with me? Am I, am I, am I wrong? It's just... And, and I'm, you know, just, I'm, if you're a worker on I-75, I love you, thank you. I just don't know when you're there. I just, like, don't, I don't, like, does anybody see workers? I, like, I'm, like, there's piles of sand, there's big trucks and stuff. It just seems like it just goes on and on and on. And I'm, you know, you can tell I'm a little cynical towards the work. I started thinking to myself, man, is this really worth it? I mean, it, you know, it's frustrating. It seems like it costs a lot of money. Uh, you know, it's, it seems more inconvenient than convenient. And, you know, I, I start thinking about my experience with I-75 is a little bit like my experience with what God's doing in me. Maybe, maybe you could relate to this. Now, there's a cooperative relationship with the gospel. There's what God's doing and how I begin to yield to He how I begin to put my trust and lean into that. And I have found this sort of wrestling in my own journey with, with my faith and the things that God wants to work in me, that good work. And at times, I look over my life and I'm like, man, it seems like this has been a long work to get a handle on this. And if I was honest, it, it doesn't seem like the wrestling has much to do with the character of God as much as my nature. And the more that this wrestling takes place and the longer this work takes, I begin to get frustrated. I begin to question the work. And the more that God says, you know what, Andy, I want to do? I want to work on that. I want, I want to crucify that in you. The more I start to think, is it worth it? You know, is it really worth it to lay down my pride? my dreams, my ambitions, and turn those over to God? Well, it all leans back on He, or is it me? Now, when you're speaking of this kind of good work, did you catch kind of where this work happens? Let's go back to the verse. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work, where? Where does it say? In you. Guys, we, we can't miss this. This is such a profound shift in sort of the, the work of God because pre New Testament, the work of God was happening around people. The Spirit wasn't dwelling in people, the, the, the work was happening outside. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Jesus leaves and says, I'm going to give you this gift. You receive the Holy Spirit. Now the work is no longer happening around you, it's happening 
in you. He is changing you from the inside out. And that, my friends, is a tough, tough, long road. Tough, long road. Now, these changes that God begins in you, there's some particular results. They're unique. Each one of us in this room, if we consider ourselves a Christ, there's a time where we said, you know, God, I've confessed my sins. I ask you to come in and lead my life. The Bible says we are forgiven. And then the the Spirit dwells within us, and we live with God's working power in us. Now, that is true of anyone, but the results of that effect sometimes look different, and there's different things happening. The Bible calls that fruit, fruit of the Spirit. And you've got all kinds of those listed, and you can look that up later. But here's the ultimate desire of that fruit. The ultimate outcome of that fruit is that we reflect Jesus. That we literally are like a little Jesus coming into our families, coming into our work, coming into this room, responding to the people that we like, responding to the people that we don't like, responding to the drives that we make down I-75. All that stuff resembles the teachings and the life of Jesus. And the reality is, is that religion, religious passion is only as healthy as it leads us to act consistent with the teaching and the life of Jesus. Let me, let me say that again. Passion for the things of God only matters in as much as it leans back and points to the life and the person and the actions of Jesus. See, there were all kinds of people around Jesus who were passionate for the things of God. They were so passionate that one day they wrote and yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And if you'd have said, well, those people weren't, but you'd have been dead wrong. Those people were deeply, many of them were deeply passionate about the things of God. But the gospel wasn't at work in them. The gospel wasn't at work in them. See, if we want to know if the gospel's at work in us, if you want to know if the gospel's at work in your family, if you want to know the gospel's at work in four corners, let me give you some questions to ask. Let's just kind of for a moment, if we call this church our home, let's ask each other these questions. How well are we doing at loving one another? Jesus said, you want to know my disciples, you'll know how well they love one another. Not what amount of knowledge they know, how well they love. How well are you doing at that? How well are you doing? Are you known as a loving, extravagantly loving person? Is this community known as extravagant in its grace? How quickly do we forgive those who've wronged us? One of the central tenets of the gospel is that forgiveness is offered. I'm grateful. Are you? I took it. I took full advantage of that. Why is it that when I'm wronged, I withhold it? Why is it that I think I get to decide who gets forgiveness and who doesn't? What is that in me? That's not the gospel, my friends. 
That's not the gospel. That's another work. And if I were to be really honest with you, that's a work from the pit of hell. That is not the gospel. That is not the work of the one we claim to follow. Are we growing more generous? Do do we speak with words of kindness, hope, and grace? Do we go out of our way to serve or be served? See, if you're like me, you hear those questions, you just kind of bristle. Anybody else feeling that a little bit today? Like, oh man, Andy. You know, you just kind of bump up into your inadequacies and sort of your selfish tendencies. It reminds me of a pastor who uh, used to preach every year on parenting. Uh, he had no kids, and he loved to preach this sermon, Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children. Then he had his first child, and he changed the sermon title to Ten Hints for Parents. Then he had his second child the next year, and he changed the sermon title to A Few Suggestions for Parents. And then he had his third child, and he just stopped speaking on the subject of parenting altogether. See, the truth is, the more important the change, the sooner we experience our shortcomings, and the more painful our inadequacies become. But I love this about the gospel. We have a God who's patient. We have a God who even knows, I will do a work in you. I will transform you. I know your inadequacies and I still want to work through you. Throw it on my back and I'll do it. It's interesting, when I was in the Marines, we would march, you know, 100 miles. We'd have 75 pounds on our back and inevitably someone would fall out of line and start the formation and start dragging And I remember many, many times taking the pack of that person, throwing it on my back, and continuing to march. Sometimes it happened to me. You know, I was exhausted or whatever it was. And, you know, there's nothing like when somebody says, I'll take that pack and carry it for you. And that's what Jesus does. He says, give me your life. Give me all that you are. And I will carry it for you. Look at this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, and then what's the next phrase? Will carry it on to completion. What God begins, he carries on. He didn't save you and then say, hey, good luck. Go figure that out. Go build a family based on my ideas. Now, go kind of be better. No, 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 no. He said, you know what? I'll, I got this. I got this. I got this. That's what's so awesome about the gospel, is that he's got this. You see, in my attempts to overhaul my character and change my unhealthy habits or, or meet or kind of reset the priorities to God's priorities, apart from grace working in me and through me, will either leave me frustrated or full of self-righteousness. Where I'm either trapped in my feelings of inadequacy or I morph into an accidental Pharisee. 
where I begin to judge who's spiritual and who's not, and I tend to be the spiritual one. Now, my attempts, it even gets worse, my attempts to change someone else without offering them the grace of the gospel leaves them fixated on their behavior. It leaves them usually feeling disappointed or either focused on what they're not doing or welcomed into the club of the spiritually elite. Either way, we're stuck. We're stuck. Now, here's what I've noticed about how the gospel gets carried on. It's, it's, it's mysterious. There's no two ways about that. God does unique things. He colors outside the lines. He has no sandbox that he needs to play in. Once we put him in one, he goes, I'm stepping out, right? And we love to get God figured out. We love to have a formula. We love to have the right words. We just are formula people. We just drift towards religious sort of actions. It's just our natural habit. But I've noticed there are some sort of characteristics that are very common to how I see the gospel get carried out. So again, kind of look and see how this is getting carried maybe in your own life. See if you're a carrier of the gospel. The first is, I've noticed the gospel seems to get carried out when we live our lives with one another. When we just have some people in our corner who can speak into us, we can speak into them. That we can, we can say things like, it's not going really well. Would you pray for me? This week, our, our group, after three years, has kind of come to the season when it looks like it's ending. One couple's moving. And it was just this moments where we were kind of hanging out with each other. I remember just some good things. I remember praying for each other. I remember having the opportunity for me to share some things that were going on that I was concerned about, some celebrations of some good things that were going on. There was other people sharing their things. We drew closer, and I think the gospel was carried on. That's why we've got this catalog. It's not because you just need another event. It's not that you just need something to do. This, I believe, is one way the gospel gets carried on. It's that you get the opportunity to connect with some other Christ followers, rub shoulders, have some differences of opinion, extend grace, receive truth, give truth, listen, be heard, celebrate, be celebrated, and God carries His gospel on. I think another way the gospel gets carried on is that when we confess our sins, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive them. We just sit and go, you know, here's the thing. You're driving down I-75, you're looking at that road and you go, gosh, there's a lot of work. God, what are you working in me? Is there anything I'm doing to prevent your work? Is there anything I'm doing that limits the power of your spirit from flowing through me? I think there is. God, here's, here's what I, comes to mind. Forgive me. And you know what happens? The gospel gets carried on. I think as we read Scripture, this living verse, and we say, God, here's the, here's the thing you have. You have permission to read me. Now I'm going to read Scripture, and I'm going to begin to believe this is written for me, and it gets carried on. As we endure hardship, and we draw upon the nature and the power of Christ, the gospel 
gets carried on. Being confident of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And then this is a very interesting phrase. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever started something to only quit it? And you look back on it and you go, man, I wish I wouldn't have quit that. You know, maybe it was education, it, maybe some work projects, some health projects, some good habit. You just see something, you're like, yeah, you know, I, get, you know, I got this little tendency to start some good things and to not finish it. Hey, listen, let me tell you, friends, what God starts, He always finishes. He's a good God. And he, the gospel has the power to transform quitters. The gospel has the power to help people finish well. And Paul is pointing to a very different finish line than that of your earthly life, however long it is. He is pointing to a day. A day, when the writers refer to that, they're pointing to the day when Jesus will return and He makes all things new. He fixes it all. And He finishes the faith. Your story is much larger and it transcends this earth. It echoes into eternity. And and that by design, your life was intended to extend well past this moment. That's why things like grace and mercy aren't just merely doctrines to study. They're the ways we find salvation and change. But for the gospel to remain the gospel, grace and mercy must have to remain front and center. When the radicalness of my commitment, the intensity of my zeal, or the extent of my personal sacrifices become means to receive or maintain God's acceptance and approval, the good news of the gospel is no longer the good news to anyone. It's only the good news to those who can meet my standards. So let me, let me kind of leave you with a couple thoughts. And then we'll close the service. We'll get about our weekend. Just, just, just consider these. If he's patient with you, if he's willing to work through you for the rest of your life, I mean the rest of your life, why don't you take a mulligan when you need it? Why don't you stop striving? Why don't you celebrate the grace of God? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, I blew it again. I just I, I just asked for a mulligan. Give me a do-over. Gladly. God, I'm glad, I'm just grateful for the work you began in me. That you're not quitting. That when I travel my life, I think, gosh, is this worth it? And you say, you bet it's worth it. Why don't you, why don't you take a mulligan? If he's patient with you, he's willing to work through you for the rest of your life, why don't you give somebody else a mulligan? Why don't you just stop holding people to a standard you can't follow? Come on, can we be honest? We get angry at people for doing things we do. They're a gossip. I'm a gossip. I just like my gossip. Who do they think they are? They're lazy. I'm lazy. I like cutting out of the things I don't want to do. Or whatever it is. I'm comfortable with my sin. I've got all kinds of reasons and excuses. 
You, you don't got no excuses. And you know when I act like that? That is not a work of the gospel. That is not a work of the gospel. And if you're a Christ follower, you got to get that right. Let me just be really honest with you as your pastor. Would you let me just be honest with you for a minute? you got to get that right. You don't have to get a whole lot of things right, like all the theology. You better get forgiveness right. You better get forgiveness right. Philippians 1.6. Let's look at it at kind of this closing time. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Would you? Let's just say that aloud. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's our God, and that's His gospel. Amen. And amen. And amen. And thank you, Jesus. Take your Connect cards out. Let's put some thoughts and let's put some actions to this morning. Got a couple ideas of how we can maybe put some traction to this this morning. The first is, just receive the gospel. Today is just saying, you know what, Andy, I'm, I'm like retiring from trying to play the game in my own strength. I want to receive that salvation, that first work of the gospel that just rescues me and, and sets me right before God. If that's you today, my words would be just saying, Jesus, forgive me, come and lead my life. That's making Jesus the forgiver and the leader of my life. Just check that first box. And we want to celebrate that with you today and follow up with you by, by name this week and reach out to you and just hear what God's doing but you need to check that box. That's just a great act. Uh, act. Second, it's just then follow up that by being baptized. Baptism is not a work of salvation, but it is a work of obedience. I believe there's something very profound that happens when Jesus said, be baptized, and we're baptized. We're doing the act that Jesus did and the, the disciples uh, taught on. So if you've never been water baptized, Man, follow up that decision by being baptized. Check that box. We'll have it scheduled next month. We'll talk to you about that this week and see if that schedule works for you. The next step is just to begin to take this verse in from here and make the 20 inches to here. Memorize that verse. Lean into that verse every day this week. So I'm going to encourage you just to memorize it. So check box C. And what I want you to do there is just simply say, by memorizing this, God, I'm wanting that to transcend the work out here, and I want it to work in me. I want my full confidence to be in you. I want when I doubt that the, the gospel's worth it, I want to know you're carrying it on. I want to know that, God, remind me by your Spirit that it'll continue till the day of your returning. That there will be a time, even when I've long passed, that people will go, do you remember? Man, they were a person of great faith. So check that box. If you want to pull that verse into your heart and really watch it become living and working in you. The next is just 
pick up a, the catalog and you're planning to, to attend a group this summer, we would love to help you. Maybe you already have the number. If you do, just check that box. Write the number next to the uh, little space there and someone will follow up with you. I know you might be just taking that in right now, so even if you find it later, you can go through the website and check in that way. But if you already know there's a group I want to do, let us know about that so we can begin to reach out to those leaders and prepare a welcoming place for you. Then lastly, we're going to have a pic picnic at the end of this month. I think it's May 31st. It was last Sunday of this month. We're just going to come together as a community and hang out and talk and get to meet one another. We're going to begin that journey of sharing lives. The picnic's a big part of that. We'd love for you to attend it. Just check that box. Let us know how many people you're coming. We're close to 400 people already saying they'll be there. It's going to be a great day. I want you to be there. I look forward to meeting you, and so do other people as well. Let's pray about these things. Father, today uh, we just really, really want to be men and women that open our lives up to the work of the gospel. Um, I'm praying for my friends who have made decisions to invite you into their life for the first time, who are, who are leaning into the idea of taking a big, bold step of maybe joining a group for the first time or, or taking in a scripture and memorizing it so that it really empowers them in a fresh, bold way. Our desire is, God, not to leave here as just simply listeners, but to watch the Word of God be active in every arena of our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you for the work of salvation and the work of transformation. We celebrate those things today. In Jesus' name, amen.